If you would, please, turn your Bibles to Psalm 90. This is the first psalm in the fourth book of Psalms, and it is reputed to be by Moses, the man of God. This psalm is divided into three portions. Verses 1 and 2 are a praise that set the stage for the rest of the psalm. Verses 3 through 12 are a lament over the transitory nature of man. You know what it means for man to be transient. It means fleeting, short-lived, as it were. It's actually short-lived, not short-lived. It's the past tense of the word life. Verses 13 through 17 are a prayer for restoration. So, we're going to see a man of God crushed under the concept of God's eternality. And we got 20 minutes to hash that out. So, in the words of the great Christian movie, Spaceballs, this is going to be the short, short version. How many in here have seen that? All two of us, me and Diane Case, that's good. All right, let's get started. Verse 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This psalm begins with who God is. He is the Lord who is God, and it's going to end with the Lord our God. God is the dwelling place. He is the protecting shelter. He is the refuge. He is the hope of the psalmist. We will see that he is not only the dwelling place, but it's for all generations. Why all generations? The psalmist has not lived for all generations. So how can God be the dwelling place for all? It's because of God's eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, from olam to olam. He is God. This is a universal truth applicable to all men, women, and children of all ages. Eternity is another word for timelessness or God's atemporality. There is no time with the divine nature. He does not begin or cease to exist. There are not moments in God. And the point isn't to stress creation ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothing, when it says in verse 2, before the mountains were formed. It is only acknowledging that to say that God is eternal. So we're not addressing the question, what was God doing before he created? That question was asked to St. Augustine, and he used to have a humorous answer and a serious answer. When asked, what was God doing before he created? He responded, he was preparing hell for people like you who ask questions like that. The real answer, of course, is he wasn't doing anything before. It says, before creation, you are God. God was being God, nothing more. Verses 3 and following, You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or a watch in the night. This emphasis on dust is a crushing. Man is crushed as part of the creation. He is subject to creation, including the fall and the curse that followed. But he is also subject to God. It says, you 
turn man back into dust. God is the one who does this. This begins the transition from God's eternal nature to man's transitory life under the sun, if you want to throw Ecclesiastes in there as well. Anybody remember Kansas from the 1970s? All we are is what? Dust in the wind. There's truth in that. I close my eyes. That's why they don't let me sing up here. For a thousand years in your sight. Anybody know who the, who's the oldest man recorded in the Bible? What's his name? Methuselah. How old did Methuselah live? 969 years. Even in that impressive age of Methuselah, that is but a day in the sight of the Lord. Or a watch in the night, which is about four hours. It's not saying that it equals a day, it's just saying it's like a day. In other words, with a timeless God, a timeless being, time is nothing. For temporal creatures, it's nothing to God or a blimp on the radar. So this contrasts the brevity of man's life with the eternity of the Almighty Creator. Verses 5 and 6 say, You have swept them away like a flood, they fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass, grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. How's your front lawn look or your back lawn? Does anybody have any brown patches after this last 10 days of blazing heat around here? What does that brown, yellowy grass do? It just falls apart. It's withered. When did it do that? Just over a short period of time. We don't notice. We notice when it's there, but we don't pay attention as it's turning that yucky, yellowish color. But this morning and evening, this is the brevity of life. Your whole life is put in the span of a morning and an evening compared to God. That's fast, especially for some of you who are older still considered just a morning and evening. We are transient. Why? Why is this the case? Verses 7, or just verse 7, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. Underline that word for. For those of you who don't like to write in your Bible, you need to write in your Bible. For or because... We've been consumed by your anger. The anger of God is sometimes considered the burning indignation of God in the Scripture. And that's what hell's likened to, right? Hell fire. There's a, there's a heat that's conveyed here. We just touched on the image of grass. Now this idea is that the hot breath of the Lord, God is a consuming fire, the Scripture says. So why is man consumed like grass? Well, because of the fiery indignation of God. And remember, this is from morning till evening. So the fiery indignation of God, Roger, manifests itself at different times and in various ways in our life. Okay, from beginning to end, we, we see God's wrath in various ways. We see his wrath against sin, our sins, as well as other people's sins. Man is under the judgment of of God. Well, now why is man under the judgment? Next verse. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins 
in the light of your presence. In God's presence are our sins, both public and private. God sees everything that every individual does, and his eyes roam to and fro throughout the earth, supporting those whose hearts are fully dedicated to him. Hebrews says that there's there's no creature that's hidden from his sight, but everything is open and laid bare before the eyes to whom we must give an account. And that's why God's wrath burns. It burns against sin. Sin is in his presence, and God is all just, and as being all just, he must punish sin. Now, it doesn't mean he must punish the sinner. It just means he must punish all sin. Is that a good thing, do you think, that he must punish sin? Yeah, sin is punish, punishing sin is good. Justice is good. Stalin, uh, Hitler, right? All these, all these guys that have done these bad things. Jezebel, I'll throw a woman in there. But now what about my sin? I sin, God must punish sin. Therefore, since I'm the sinner, he would have to punish me unless something happens. Is that a good thing? Yeah. Justice is still meted out. It's still measured out. That's a good thing. Justice is still good. It doesn't mean it's good news for me because now I got a problem. <laughs> and that's why the good news of the gospel is good news indeed. Christ takes the punishment. God is able to impute my unrighteousness to Christ, and that's why Christ suffered. And in turn, he's able to impute, which means to declare righteous, me because of Christ's perfect life. That's great news. That's the gospel. Verse 9 says, For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. This verse starts bringing up the days and years motif here. The entire life, all our days, we have finished our years like a sigh, a murmur. Consider a whole life lived. It's gone, just like that. James says, you remember, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Day, night, all the hardships, all the troubles are like a mist. Verse 10, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. It literally says, the days of our years, they contain 70, or if due to strength, 80. During a Sunday school, I think Lucas, I did this to Lucas Nelson, I think he was 16, maybe, at the time. I said, all right, subtract 80, subtract 16 from 80, you get 64. I said, all right, now multiply that by 365. I wrote down the total here somewhere, 23,360. And I said, this is how many days you have to be alive. And he looks at, he looks at his phone and he goes, oh, it's, it's quick. feels quick when you give a number to it. If, uh, if you make it till 80, if you're in your 40s, you have about 14,000 days left. If you're 60, it's half that, you got about 7,300 days left. If you're 80 or over, you're on borrowed time, as it were. It is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We do not get one more second 
and what's appointed. What do we do? Our pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it's gone and we fly away. What do we do during those 70, 80, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter, those years? What do we do? Well, we work hard and we take note of all the bad things that happen to us. Sometimes there's some good things, but we usually, it's a lot easier to remember the hard stuff. That's what we do. Most of life is difficult. This is why Solomon says that for the man under the sun, most of his days he eats in darkness with a great vexation, affliction, sickness, and anger. In other words, if you don't have a Bible and you look around at life, you go, what the heck am I doing here? What is going on? Now, it says that a lot of people don't think that way because God gives people various things to do so they don't count the days of their lives. There's always something going on. We're always striving for something. But if you've ever just looked in the mirror and paused from life for a sec, you go, what the heck am I doing with myself? Why am I here? Especially when you're going through times of trouble, you say, this is miserable. What, what is this for? There doesn't seem to be any reason for it. Verse 11 is going to come into the crescendo here. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the, the fear that is due you? Remember, we just talked about the days, the days of our years, how they're declining in fury. And then the psalmist says, who understands your fury? Who understands? Well, no one fully understands, but those who are more wise. Do you know the two type of people that it's mentioned in Proverbs? Just incidentally. You got the wise man, and then who else? You got the fool. That's it. Those are the two types of people that things boil down to. Now, the wise man, what does the wise man do? Who understands the power of your fury? Who understands the judgment of sin that is evident that manifests in the world in various ways during those few days of our lives or those few days of our years. Well, no one understands it fully besides God. You get a little closer when you realize that each little sin is an affront to an infinite holy majesty and that every little sin uh, deserves a condemnation that is eternal and never ends. You get a little closer. But what does the wise man do? The wise man realizes that God's wrath against sin elicits an appropriate response. In other words, when you connect the dots in your mind and you go, we are under judgment. Sin is under judgment. The creation is under judgment. It's supposed to make the connect. We go, okay, what, what should I do? What do I do now if I know this? What do you do? What do I do as we apply it to ourselves? Well, here's the turning point. So teach us to number our days, this is verse 12, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. We do two things, revelation and illumination. Isaac, get off your phone. I'm not ashamed to call you out from up here. 
What do we do? We number our days. What does David say in Psalm 39? He's praying and he's, he's frustrated over something. I don't know what he's frustrated over. It doesn't say. But he's saying that he's keeping his mouth shut and as he is musing, the fire's burning. In other words, he's getting himself all pumped up. Have you been that way before? You get mad, but you don't say anything. And so you're just getting upset inside. You just start. Some of you may be in church that way this morning. I'm looking for whoever has their arms crossed. I got one. <laughs> you ever get ticked off? The, the fire burns, you know? That's why it talks about when God gets upset, or David calls, says, the smoke of God's nostrils starts to flare up. And I've never seen that in real life. I've seen Chris Farley do that in a movie, and I think I've seen it on Looney Tunes before. But there is this, this sense of the blood boiling inside the person. That's what it's talking about. David says, let me know how transient I am. Let me know that I'm ephemeral. I believe literally that means lasting for a day. Let me know. Number the days. That's one thing we do. Let me understand the brevity of this life. Let me understand that this moment counts for something. It counts for whatever you do with it. I'll say what he says to do with it, but I mean, that's, that's up to us. What are we going to do with it? That's one thing. But not just teach us to number our days, but for the purpose, it says, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. The purpose is for living wisely unto God. It says to present to you, God, a heart of wisdom. That's the purpose of numbering our days. There's an end, there's a goal to be reached, and that is being able to present ourselves in front of God. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that each one will receive the recompense for his deeds, done in the body, whether good or bad. That's the purpose of living wisely. There's an end to this race, whether sooner or later. And the purpose is to present our hearts before God. So how do we do this? Where does wisdom begin? What does Proverbs 1.7 say? I think it's 1.7, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not enough to just know that. You can, you can have this knowledge and still be an idiot as far as the Bible's concerned. But it's saying, once you know this in your head, then what you do with it is going to, uh, that's going to shake out as to whether you're living as, as a wise person or as a foolish person. It's not enough just to know. The unrighteous know, Romans 1 says, and what does the unrighteous person do? He suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. That's why the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodless, ungodlessness of men who suppress their truth in, in unrighteousness. But if you want to be wise, then you it evokes the proper response. What do you do? You want to present to God a heart of wisdom. So, the wise man realizes the brevity of life because of his sin, and then the wise man attends to the persistent reality that God, as creator, is the Lord. There's a good example of this in Daniel, uh, might be chapter 5, I think, talking to Belshazzar. I don't have time to read it right now. But God says in Ezekiel 18, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son. All souls are his. How are we going to live? I've got to hurry up here. Verse 13 and following begins a series of petitions 
Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? Return. It's asking for God to restore. He's omnipresent, right? To be theological for a sec, he's everywhere. He's everywhere present, so he doesn't have to return anywhere. He doesn't have to go anywhere. He never left. What does that mean? Well, that means in light of the heart change, return, restore, change us. Be sorry literally means change your mind. Once again, God is not a man that he can change his mind. We read somewhere else in the Bible. So that's called phenomenological language. That's a big word for, to say what the weather people do on the weather channel. The sun's rising and the sun sets. Do they not know that the earth is rotating? Of course they know. That's how we talk, though, from the vantage point of the viewer, the creature. Return, be sorry, change your mind about us. Satisfy us in the morning, verse 14, with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be, be glad all the days of our lives. There's the theme of the morning again. Not just satisfy us in the morning, but give us a new day, a new morning, a new beginning of life, as it were. Satisfy us with your loving kindness. What, the loving kindness of God is the cause of the following part, the results to, twofold, to be glad all our days and to sing for joy. During this brief life, the loving kindness of God is what enables us to have joy during the day. What day? Now. And from here on out for all our days. Being in the right relationship with God is what's being discussed here. Make us glad according to the days you've afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Verse 15. Here's days and years again. God afflicts. God restores. He meets out judgment on sin. He also enables the sinner to repent. That's the idea. Verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. This is talking about, this is contrasting the servants here in verse 16 with the servants in verse 13, who they ask God to be sorry for. Please be sorry for your servants. What servants? The one under judgment. The one's under judgment. If you're living in sin, then you're under judgment. God's going to mete out discipline if you're a believer. He's going to mete out, un He's going to mete out judgment if, it, if it's an unbeliever. That's what he does. And we wrap up. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. That's where we give a big amen. It's asking for... Let the favor of the Lord be upon us. Let's live under God's favor. In other words, please give me a meaningful life. This is contrasted with the meaningless life apart from God. If anybody has a new international version and you begin Ecclesiastes, what does it begin? Words of the preacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the preacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's what he says. That's a life under the sun apart from God. You go, what am I doing? There's no meaning to anything apart from God. God gives meaning to human existence. It's the reward. It makes life worth living. All right, application real quick. What do we do? If you're older, and I mean older in the faith, not just older in age, for the older person, what's it say in Hebrew? Do not throw away your confidence. You will be richly rewarded. 
For momentary and light affliction has produced an eternal weight of glory, far surpassing all the junk you've gone through. If you're mature, mature in the faith, hang in there. Keep seeking the Lord. If you're younger in the faith, we talk about checking boxes sometimes in church. You got to at least be checking the boxes. All right, that may not be all you're doing, but that's at least a litmus test for how you're doing in the Lord. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you living under the Lordship of Christ as a disciple? If not, why not? We got to get that straightened out. And for the unsaved person, got to get saved, first and foremost. It's not too late. That person must believe. That person must come to God. As Hebrews says, he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who seek him diligently. And that's the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for those older in the faith that you would strengthen them to hang in there, to seek your kingdom and your righteousness, that all other things might be granted to them, and that they might be able to, when they appear before the judgment seat, present to you a heart of wisdom. Lord, for those who don't know what it's like to live under the lordship of Christ, I pray that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. Please renew their commitment to you. Train them up in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord. Help them know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge. Lord, for the unbeliever, may they realize the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, that Christ took the punishment for their sins, that he stands to intercede for them at the right hand of God and that he will raise up their mortal bodies to be like his glorious one. Help us all in this time, Lord, to do what we need to do to live wisely before you. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.